All right. We're eating fish, so bring a dish. I like it. <laughs> That'll preach, right? Well, I hope you have enjoyed our series on breathing room. This has been an amazing uh, few weeks, and so if you're just Jumping in today, um, you can go online and catch the podcast and catch up, uh, but this has been a, a great series as we've been talking about this reality that God designed us to have margin and to rest, and that life is better with breathing room, with breathing room. And so uh, I promise we're done with that annoying video. We played it at the beginning of service so that I would give you a little bit of a break. And uh, I won't play it again. Uh, that's my commitment to you. I can't commit. Uh, sometimes our, our tech team has a good sense of humor. And so I can't promise that they won't torture us a little bit more with that video. But I'm glad we're at the end of that. But if you're just jumping in with us, we've been walking for the last couple of weeks through this idea that God designed us with breathing room. And how incredible is it that when we look at the creation account in Genesis, that God designed and created Adam on the sixth day and on the seventh day, God rested. That means in Adam's first, first, second day, his second day of existence, he got to see how God intended us to enjoy our existence. You got to see God chill. I've for weeks have had this just picture in my head of God in a hammock. It's stretched out between two mountains, his legs over the side. And he's like, just enjoy all of this, Adam. I've been avoiding um, making some commentary because we're not really sure if Eve's been uh, uh, created yet at this point. So I've been, I've avoided any commentary about that, ladies. So, so uh, the last time God rested was before you guys were created, I'm just saying. But uh <laughs> I couldn't resist. It's been too many weeks in my gut wanting to say that. <laughs> I am teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I avoided. I, I went there because I couldn't talk about the Niners today since the, the Seahawks have a bye this week since they're playing us. And so uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm feeling pretty bad about it. So I had to I had to find some other other way to get my uh, to get my out. Oh, burn. <laughs> There it is. Wow. Wow. And amen. Guys, have a great weekend and we're done. <laughs> How do I recover from that? Well, I'm glad you guys have a sense of humor with me and, uh, and we, can have, we can have a little bit of fun in church. Amen. So we've been talking about uh, uh, this idea that God intended us to have margin, that he designed us. It's crazy that he took his nation, the nation of Israel, and in their opening ten rules, in their opening, as he formed them into a nation, as he built a constitution for them, right smack in the middle of that, he made sure that they understood that you need to take a dais office. You need to rest. You should taketh a dayeth offeth, saith the Lordeth, right? It's in there. He wants us to rest. And so the first week we just talked about how life was better with breathing room. And then we've been unpackaging how to manage our time. And we talked about this idea that we all have a limited amount of time. And since our time is limited, we have to limit what we do with our time. Since our time is limited, we have to limit what we do with our time. So we talked about the power of saying no to things and to people that gobble up our time. And we joked about using text messages to get out of long conversations so that you can keep and protect your time. You have a limited amount of time. So you have to limit what you do 
with your time. So we talked about that for a while. And then last week, Pastor Chris uh, came and just shared. I, I hope you guys appreciated Chris. He's, he's preaching again this week. He's on the road all the time uh, this month. And so uh, he shared about breathing room in our finances. And we talked about just this reality that when, because we, we talked about margin is, but the space between our load or our current pace and our limit. And when your load hits your limit, wherever my electrical guys are, you blow a fuse. Something goes. You have a meltdown. Margin, it's the space between your load and your limit. And so we talked about how when it comes to our finances, you have a limited amount. And we talked about how often we live at a pace that is higher than our amount. In America right now, we live basically on 133% of our income. That's not a recipe for success. And so what happens, Chris shared with us last week, which I thought was just amazing. He said what happens is you get to a certain point, And because your load is exceeding your limit, God puts something on your heart that you want to do. And you try to respond to God, but you got to ask Visa if it's okay. you got to ask, hey, MasterCard, can I respond to what God's put in my heart? And all of a sudden you are serving two masters. And so, so he talked about that. If you didn't hear that, you should get on the podcast. We talked about some tools. We actually gave some books away and some things like that for us to start that process. And I was so encouraged by how many conversations about, about that, that kind of spurred in people this past week as we talked about that idea of having breathing room in our finances so we can do what God's called us to do, what he puts on our hearts to do. And so this week, we're going to get into this, uh, the final piece of this, and we're going to talk about breathing room in our most important relationships. And so this week, we actually are going to call this choosing to cheat, choosing to cheat, because here's what happens when your margin evaporates, when your load starts getting to your limit, you are going to cheat on something. Something that's a priority in your life is going to get uh, take a shot so that you can survive, so that you can do all the things that you have going on. So what is it going to be? And so we're going to talk today about the areas of our life that we are specifically and uniquely called to be responsible for. And we're going to talk about how we should not cheat on those things. So that's where we're going. Now, the problem is we all get so overloaded. I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about if I were to catch you after service today and get a moment with you, and I would say, Sean, tell me how things are going. Now, Sean may, because I'm Pastor Mike, say, I'm blessed. Everything's awesome. Right? Okay, good. (laughs) He wouldn't do that. Hopefully he wouldn't do that, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to do a hypothetical conversation with everybody for just a moment, okay? So I want you to just pretend I caught you after service, and, you know, we made eye contact, and for a moment there was no kid pulling on your arm or anything like that. And I said, how are you doing? And then I don't want you to say it out loud, but I just want you to think through your response. Okay, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. How are you doing? Some of you got a lot. Okay. So let me, let me ask you this, just kind of, you know, by a, a wave of hands at me. How many of you, the word busy came in? Yeah. How many, the word crazy or overloaded or just things going on? Yeah. A lot of hands flying, flying around right now. How many of you were just like, man, I'm amazing. Everything's great. 
Yeah, not you know a couple couple three hands. Yeah, my couple three hands, right? <laughs> my retired folks, <laughs> they're great. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's awesome. I was just thinking about how many times I have those conversations, and it leads with I'm tired, I'm sick, I'm busy, things are crazy. It's just so much going on right now. And, and we live at this pace, and it's almost like a badge of honor to say we're just busy. So I was thinking about whether or not the scriptures ever call us to busyness. Is there any place in there where they say it's impressive to be busy? I couldn't find it, and I use Google and everything. But we wear busyness somehow like it's a badge of honor. And here's the problem with busyness. is Busyness, it's a lot like procrastination. It's like opposite sides of a coin. And so here's what happens. Do I have, you know, where's my procrastinators at? It'll take you a minute to get your hand up. But yeah, okay. <laughs> right? We got some procrastinators. Here's the thing with procrastination, okay? Procrastination is deceptive. And I know. Right. Because here's what procrastination does. Procrastination is like we have an internal conversation with ourselves saying at a later time, we're going to do the thing that we said we we're planning on doing. And so we feel good because we made a decision of when we're going to do something, but we haven't actually done the thing. So it's like gives us permission to not do the thing. Are you still with me? Some of the procrastinators takes a little bit longer. Right. You're like, wait, you're talking to me. Yeah, but that's that's what happens is we make an internal decision that at a later time we'll do something and then it almost it like releases endorphins in us. We feel good because we're like we've made a decision that later we'll do the thing. And and here's what happens is in our bodies and in our minds and in our souls, we feel the same as if we had actually done the thing. And then the thing gets pushed out again and again and again and again and again. Now, here's the thing busyness does the same thing. It gives us permission to say, well, the thing that I'm going to do, I can't do right now because I'm really busy. And so I fill up my time and then I feel okay. Like I know I was supposed to do that, but the reason I didn't do it was I was busy and busy is a good excuse. And it's a good reason to push something back. And we feel like, well, I feel kind of bad, but it's not as bad as like, I wasn't lazy. So it's not like I just mailed it in. I was busy. And so we push things that are important back, and we push people who are important back. And something happens. Something happens in those relationships. So to illustrate that, I'm going to bring, I need a strong guy up here. I got one. Here we go. (laughs) Come on up here, Jake. Jake's strong. He's going to help me. Would you stand just in the middle of the stage? And here's what happens when we get so busy. I'm going to redirect a little bit of traffic here so you guys can all see. Jake's pretty mug here. You see, what happens to us is there are certain responsibilities, things that are part of our load, that when we hit our limit, when we get so busy, we can't manage them. But they're critically important. So in a, in a sense, there are bags. There are responsibility. There are stuff. Now, this is a regular size bag. You can see there's some weight to it. Someone guess how heavy you think this is. 30, 45, 20. It's not empty. It's 28.2 pounds. Yeah. 28.2 pounds. All right. 
It's my good arm. <laughs> so here's what happens. Would you, could you hold that for me, please? I know this is mine, but can you hold it? I don't care how you hold it. Hold it any way you want to hold it. Just don't let it hit the ground, okay? That's important stuff. Got it? Cool. Thanks, bro. I really appreciate it. Just, just chill for me for a while. So here's what happens. We have areas of our life and our responsibilities that are, that are unique and specific to us. I realized this about, gosh, about seven years ago. We were planting, we were planting the church in Oregon. And I had been unemployed for 10 months when we moved to plant the church. And then the economy started turning around or my you know, willingness to take a crummy job started shifting. And I went from unemployed to four jobs in about a two-month window. So not only was I no longer unemployed, I was working in the mornings I would get up and I would open a performing arts theater and I would book gigs at this performing arts theater and I would do that from 8 to noon every day. Then I would eat lunch and drive to my other job where I worked with the park and rec district and I ran after school sports for middle schoolers and I would do that from 1 to 5 every day. Then from 5 to 5.30, I'd eat dinner, and I'd drive to the movie theater, and I was the night manager at the movie theater, and I'd work 5.30. And so if you've ever been in a movie theater, you know that it's a, it's, a, it's a moving target when the last movie ends. So sometimes it'd be 1 a.m., sometimes it'd be 2.30 a.m., sometimes, you know, some sparkly vampire movie would come out, and it'd be like all night long, right? And we'd just be out there. So I had those three jobs, plus we were planting the church, which meant any day that I took off, we loaded with planting the church meetings and writing messages and getting prepared for that. And I went from no job, come on now, to four jobs. Now, if you do the math, that means I'm out from eight in the morning until at least one at night every day, sometimes six days in a row. Now, you can do that for a little while before you die. Eventually, you will die. But if you, won't, if you don't die and you're married, then you will die. But <laughs> so what ends up happening is I begin to say, you know, hey, there's some important things. Oh, and during that time, we had two more kids during that, during that window. So we went from one kid who was, you know, five and out of diapers to two in diapers. And my lovely wife, she's not in the room right now, so I can talk about her. What ends up happening is I begin to have to say, you know what, honey? I know there's some chores around the house that are man chores. Those are my chores, right? But I, I'm just going at a pace right now. Can you, can, can you hold that for me? And I would hand them to her. And then there were some other responsibilities, like, you know, waking up to help when you've got two babies that are trying to get sleep through the night. Guess who's not waking up? Honey, I know it's my turn, but can you, can you? Yeah, I got that. I got that. You know, my five-year-old, we want to put him in some activities. It's like, hey, you know, can we, can we maybe get him in a, a yeah, yeah, I, can't, I just can't, I won't be there though. Can you, you know, can you get your phone and just record that for me? And pretty soon, you know what happens when we do that to people we love? They say yes, because they love us back. And they say, oh, I got it, honey, I got it. I appreciate it. We do that to our friends. We do that to our loved ones. We do that to our kids. Hey, Daddy's really busy right now. We're just in a crazy season right now. I've got to go out of town a little bit more. I'm not going to be at the game this time around. And you know what? We go, oh, that's okay. I get it. And we put it on them in there. And because they love us, they take it. They say, I got, I got this. And then here's what we do. We run over and we say, Jake, you're awesome. Thank you so much for carrying that for me. I appreciate it. And then we go and we keep, we don't take it back. It's just now their thing. But they weren't designed to carry that. 
That was our part of the load. That was our part of raising the kids. That was our part of loving our family. That was our part of getting everybody up and ready to church. That was our part of doing whatever it is, the thing that's our part. And we hand it off, and we hand it off, and we hand it off. And then something starts to change. Pretty soon, the the countenance, they start wearing down. And for a while, that's okay. But when we don't come back, and we don't take back the thing that was designed for us, our load, our part, when we hand that off, eventually the countenance starts to change. Eventually, eventually the attitude starts to change. The heart starts to get weary. And then something happens. And they drop our load. And kaboom. Everything goes wonky. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> He's like, get that out of here. Give him a hand. Thanks for carrying that for a while. Appreciate it. But that's what happens when we don't carry the part of the load that we were designed to, and we pass that on. Eventually, things start changing. And here's, here's how you know things are starting to change. When you walk into the room and you say, hey, I'm really sorry, but i got to take another shift today. And the look on their face that used to be disappointment turns to resolve. And it's like, good. It's easier. I'm used to you not being here now. When you go to that kid and you say, you know, what? I'm not going to be at your game. They say, oh, no big deal. And there's no brokenheartedness. It's just become normal. You've passed off the piece that only you are uniquely designed to carry. And you've given it to someone else that you love to carry. And it's become so much that they just can't carry it anymore. And then something simple happens. Hey, honey, can you grab me a soda? You get your own soda! Wait, what? I just asked for a soda. You were standing by the fridge. I'm sick and tired of this, and the fridge is getting kicked. Sorry. And the kids are <laughs> the kids are crying or upset or they're out of the room. Their grades have plummeted. They don't want to be involved in the activities anymore. Nobody's ever. And, and, and see, I'm going to talk to men specifically for a moment here. And men, we think whatever just happened is the thing. Right? Whatever just happened is the thing. And we're like, all I did was ask for a soda, and now she's in the room crying, and the door's locked, and music's playing. Or I told her I was going to be late one more time. I came home. She's not here. I haven't seen her for three days. I just told her I was going to be late one more time. One time, And we don't realize, I won't pick on the, men, the ladies here, but just especially the men. We don't realize what happened was we handed off our load, our luggage, what we were designed to someone we love. We cheated on that responsibility to do something else. Maybe that thing felt necessary. The thing might not have even been bad. Now, remember, we talked early in the series. We talked about the reason. We talked about it when we talked about time. We talked about it when we talked about resting. The reason that we don't do it, the reason we don't have margin, the reason that we don't manage that well, it's not because we're not disciplined. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just not a little, I'm not organized enough to do that. Discipline isn't the issue. It's not because we don't believe in it and think it's important. The issue is fear. The issue is fear. The issue is I'm on some level afraid that if I don't do this extra thing, if I don't take that extra job, if I don't take that extra shift, if I don't say yes to that extra thing, if I don't do whatever that thing is, then somehow I'll miss out or I won't provide right or I won't do the thing that we need or we won't get where we need to get or we won't be able to retire the way we need to retire or we won't be able to have the things that we need. Whatever it is, the issue is always fear. Fear is the thing that keeps us 
from doing. Now, here's the thing that was really profound to me in that season, doing those four jobs. Because I'm going to be honest for just a moment here. I was dead afraid. After 10, mo- 10 months of being unemployed, I was dead afraid to let go of a job. Any job, even if it was killing me, even if I smelled like popcorn every night. I was dead afraid. If I let go of this job and then one other thing goes away, one thing goes wrong, I have no, no I just can't, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't, there's just no way. Somehow I had wore it like a badge of honor to pass off all of that responsibility because dad was over here doing the thing. It was too much load to hand off to someone else. It wasn't worth it. Sometimes the things we're doing are real noble. I know a lot of former pastors. Most of them, many of them, I should say, guilty of this kind of thing. Not tending to the thing that only they could do. Because here's the thing. There's only a few things that only you can do. There's only a few things that only you can do. So I'm going to talk about two relationships that only you can manage. One is your relationship with God. Two is your relationship with your family. Only you can manage that. Men, women, teens, same thing. Singles, married. You can manage those things. No one can farm that out. Just about everything else you do, someone can do. Someone with training can take it from you. But some things that only you can do. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Kings, and we're going to take a snapshot. I'm going to whirlwind us through the life of this guy, Solomon. And uh, we're going to bounce through that. I'm excited. We're going we're to spend a little time in Solomon today, just a snapshot. And then next week, we're not in a series anymore, and we're going to walk through uh, uh, talking about one of my favorite Bible characters, Samson. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So that's just a plug for next week if you're uh, out of town. You want to want to listen to that one online. I love talking about Samson. But uh, that's next week. So I'm in 1 Kings. I'm going to talk about Solomon for just a little bit. Because Solomon is famous for one, well, a couple things. But he's most famous for being the what person that ever lived? Wisest. Solomon. Samson's next week. (laughs) You were kind of with me. The wisest person that ever lived. And he's famous for this prayer that he prayed as he became the king of Israel. He prayed this. He said to God, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Leave that up there for a while. There was two critical things he said there. Give me a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. And wrong. Now, you know, you know how, just sidebar, do you know how amazing it would be if we would just pray this prayer, if God's people just pray this prayer to have wisdom and the ability to tell what's right and wrong? If we just built that into our lives, it's like we don't ever want to be honest with God about what's right and wrong anymore. And there's so much pressure to accept things that are wrong is right and right is wrong. And right, I'm going to go on a tyrant, but let me just say what God recognized as impressive in the leader of his people was a desire to be able to actually distinguish between right and wrong. That's pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, if you read through that whole passage, and I won't do it right now for time's sake, God is so impressed 
that Solomon asked for that instead of wealth and long life and health and riches, that God said, because you asked for that, I'm going to actually give you everything else on top of that. And the phrase Solomon's splendor still exists today because we understand that God so blessed Solomon because he asked for a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. That's pretty powerful. I'm just going to leave you to think about that. But we'll move on. So here's Solomon. Now, here's the cool thing about Solomon. He's reigning at the only time in the history of the nation of Israel that they're at peace and in the land. Do you understand that? Everything Moses went through in, in the desert to get him there, everything that the judges went through, everything that David went through to establish the kingdom, Solomon is the guy who gets to reign when everything's at peace in the promised land. That's amazing. Okay? He's the only guy. After him, everything implodes and starts messing up, and it's just, you know, thousands of years of trying to get back to this, this window of time. Solomon. That's amazing. And he opens his reign with this prayer, give me a discerning heart and the ability to tell right from wrong. Now, I'm going to give you two pictures of what people advised him to do and how to manage this so that it would go well. And then I'm going to show you where the wheels came off, okay? And then that's going to give us our breathing room illustration. So, so in 2 Kings chapter 2, you can back up a little bit, chapter 1, when David is about to die, King David is his father, David's about to die, and it says, when, da- when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He says, I'm about, the way to go all- I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So I love this. This is what I, I want to someday just tell this to my kids. He says, so be strong and show yourself a man. That's awesome. Well, me, I'll let off the hook on that. But my boys, be strong and show yourself a man. So buck up. Stick to it. Have a backbone. Stand for this. It's important. It says, be strong and show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his requirements as written in the law of Moses. Remember in, in that top ten list that we talked about how rest was in the, Okay. In, the, in that list, right? So that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So his dad says, listen, you've got to man up and manage two things really well. Number one, your relationship with God. And number two, this is a generational thing that you pour into your family. And when you do that, God's promise will always have someone on the throne. That's pretty cool. He says, you got two areas of primary responsibility. You keep this thing with God straight, and you live it in such a way that you deposit that into the generation behind you, your family. That's the two things you can't farm out. You're the king. Everything else you can farm out. Everything else you can bring someone in and have them do it. Those two things, dad's advice, do those well, and God will take care of the rest. Do those well. God will take care of the rest. You can fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 9. Solomon begins building the, he finishes the temple. It's amazing. There's the splendor that we talk about is there. There's gold, there's riches. The ark is in there. And he, 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 uh, he dedicates the temple to the Lord. And then God speaks to him. This is awesome. It's red letters. 1 Kings chapter 9 verse 3. 
God responds to Solomon. He says, I've heard the prayer and the plea that you've made before me. And I've consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart, they'll always be there. Verse 4. But as for you, here it comes. Walk before me in integrity and heart and uprightness as David your father did. Do all I command and observe my decrees and laws. And I'll establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if your sons, here's the family angle, turn away from me and don't observe the commands and decrees I've given you. And they go off and serve other gods and they worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them. I'll reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the people. Again, from his father. From the Lord. Two critical things. Don't cheat on these two things. Your job. Relationship with God. And your family. You've got to take care of those things. You've got to invest in those things. You've got to put your resource into there. Your time into those things. That's what you're responsible for. That's what Solomon hears. Pretty simple. Keep the main things the same things. So Solomon thrives. He's doing great. The kingdom's expanding. They have wealth. He's famous. He's one of the most learned men of his generation. It tells us um, historically that people came from other uh, other uh, nations to just study under her, him to learn uh, about plants and animals and and uh, the way that they were so successful in their business models. I mean, he is just thriving. He's thriving, and the kingdom's expanding. He's strategic, and then something happens. In order to expand, order to get more, in order to increase his legacy, in order to stretch his boundaries out, he starts making a specific type of compromise. He starts marrying folks in order to gain favor with neighboring nations and expand his territory. He becomes a mass marrier, a serial marrier. For lack of a better terms. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it tells the story. It says, King Solomon, however, however, he loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, this is red letters, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love and he had, listen, 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. Verse four, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods and his heart was no longer fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his day of David, his father had been. He had followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. Verse six. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord's and he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father had done. Here's the thing. He strategized. He thought, I can expand. I can grow bigger. He's the only person in history who got to rule Israel in peacetime. Period. All of the promises of the promised land poured out. He's gifted with wisdom and wealth. He has enough, but in his heart, it's not enough. And so he expands and he compromises and he compromises the two areas that his father and the Lord said, don't do that. Don't compromise your relationship with God and don't mess up your family. 
Don't do those two things. Don't do those two things. Now, I know it was strategic, but if you do the math, he basically added 1.5 wives per month. You think you don't have margin. You think you don't have breathing room. Can you imagine 1.5 weddings a month? Insane. It looked strategic, but it was a disaster. So here's the end result. The end result is it divides the kingdom. It rips it in half. His sons become wicked and they follow other gods. The kingdom splits. They get invaded. The temple, the final, like penultimate of all of their work where God was supposed to rest gets raided. The treasures are taken out. We don't see the Ark of the Covenant again after that. I mean, it just, it just implodes. And within one generation, everything he compromised to gain, catch this, everything he compromised to gain. I just need a few more shifts so we can get that thing. I just want to get a little bit more so we can get to that place. And can you just hold this for me a little bit longer so we can get this other thing? Everything he worked to gain within one generation was gone. It was gone. It was lost, stolen and plundered. Why? So he kept handing off his load. He kept farming out the two critical relationships that you can't farm out. He handed them again and again and again. His sons served other gods. They got invaded. The splendor was gone. Ouch. I'm going to show you um, a, a quick video here, and uh, it, it's just about 90 seconds long, and so... Uh, uh, I want you to take a look at this. And it's, it's uh, Pastor Wayne Cadero. He's a pastor of a, a big church in uh, Hawaii. I've had a chance to work with him on a couple projects. And, and uh, he shares this principle really well. So I'm going to let him share this principle. And then I'm going to make sense of all the stuff I got up here on the stage. 85% of what you do, anybody can do. I mean, attending meetings, answering phone calls, answering email. Anybody can do 85% of what we do. Now, 10% of what we do, somebody with some modicum of training can do, whether it be accounting or leading a meeting or teaching a class. If you're trained, basically anybody can do those things. But there's 5% of what you do nobody else can do. I call that your last 5%. You see, no one else but me can be a husband to my wife, Anna. No one but me can be a father to my children. No one else. Only I can keep myself healthy. Only I can keep myself inspired or motivated. I can't delegate that out to somebody else. Only I can keep my growth or my faith jubilant and growing and exuberant and, and constantly changing for the better and optimizing my own heart towards the Lord. Only I can do that. Those things make up your last 5%. And in the end, if you think about it, that's exactly what God's going to hold us accountable for. Our last 5%. Mm. Isn't it interesting when we think about the things that only we can do? I, was, I heard it said this way and I thought it was pretty funny. Only I can be Christine's first husband. Right? She can get another one, but not another first. Right? Only I can be my kid's dad. Only I can handle the responsibility of leading my family 
in a relationship with God. Only I can manage my relationship with God. I can't farm that out. I can't hand that off. I can't release that load. That's my responsibility. And there's this thing we do. Busyness does it to us. Procrastination does it to us. As we start, our load starts reaching our limit. We start justifying that somewhere down the line, we'll fix it. And here's how you know. You want to know if you're handing off things too much? You, you, you want to put a thermometer in that. Ask yourself this. Are you constantly making promises that it's going to get better? It's going to get better. It's just this time, but in, in the next season, it's going to get better. In the next, and as soon as we get to this other side, it's going to get better. In the, in the next, and, and are, are you doing that? Are you chronically missing things that you don't want to miss? I know I can't be there this time, but, but you know, I, I, I can't get to the game. Can you just, you know, hey, when, what time does she perform? I'll be there then. I can't be at the whole thing, but I'll get there by that time. Are you chronically missing things? I remember my, uh, my father, he was a workaholic for a, a season. And I remember him talking about how much he made when he worked on Christmas. I remember that. And I remember thinking, man, that's awesome as a kid. I remember taking that load and thinking, that's great. I can't believe he's going to make so much on Christmas. I'm going to get awesome stuff. When I look back, and I don't remember any of that awesome stuff. I remember he worked on Christmas all the time. That's what I remember. We've been gone four years now. And I think about that. Man, I missed a lot of Christmases. I missed a lot of birthdays, a lot of games. Now listen, there's going to be seasons when we have to miss things. We get that. But when you're chronically missing it, when you're chronically making promises, here's another good one. How about when you're chronically saying this... Some other time in the future, things are going to be better, right? I know we can't celebrate our anniversary this year, but next year or at the five years or five years, then that's the time. That's the time when that's going to happen. We're chronically pushing that ahead. Sticking the temperature in there for you a little bit right now. Are you managing that 5% well? I was thinking about how much time we actually have here on this side of eternity. To be responsible for. There's a guy in the Bible who lived. This is a standard Bible trivia. Who's the guy who lived the longest in the Bible? Methuselah, right? How many years? 969 years. Some of you got your Bible trivia down. That's great. What's Methuselah famous for? Living a long time. Awesome. I was thinking about it. In Genesis chapter 5, it tells his story. But in Genesis chapter 5, it tells the story. And here's the thing that's crazy. And you can go there. I won't read it all out. But here's what it says. It says that Methuselah's dad was Enoch. Now, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. God actually was such in good relationship with Methuselah's dad that he's like, dude, come hang with me. And that's it. We talk about Enoch. I could preach Enoch for weeks. What does it mean to walk with God? How are you close to God? How does that work? You know, who, you know who Methuselah's kid was? Methuselah's kid was Lamech. Lamech's kid was some guy named Noah. Methuselah's Noah's grandfather. And we could talk Noah for weeks. Hearing God, faith in God, stepping out when no one else will do it. But Methuselah lived 969 years. You know what I got? And Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. That's it. That's his byline. That's what's on his tombstone. 969 years on the earth and then he was gone. 
Now here's what blows my, my mind, and I, I'm just speculating with you. This guy lived 969 years. He had a lot of kids. You know, he, had, he had other kids, and then he died, basically, right? And so think about this. He's the grandfather of Noah. He lived 969 years. That means he and everyone he knows, except for Noah and seven other folks, wiped out as part of the most evil generation to ever live on the earth. Right? Part of that. Doesn't mean he was evil, but that just that's that's what was going on in his time. We don't know, we're just speculating what his life was like. But can you imagine nine hundred and sixty nine years and we know nothing. He should be the most famous person in history. But if someone said, Can you write a report about Methuselah, you'd say, He lived nine hundred and sixty nine years. Period. Turn in your report. So having a lot of time isn't solve our issue. Enoch didn't have that much time, but he walked with God. Noah didn't have that much time, but he had faith. Time isn't your issue. I was thinking about it like in terms of like months, right? I think or in weeks, right? This is weeks. This is about, I didn't count it exactly. This is about 50,000 grains of sand right here. No, rice. It's rice, right? This is how many weeks Methuselah had. I just want you to take a look at that. He had about this. This is going to be messy. I didn't think this through. He had about this many weeks, week after week after week after week after week after week after week. And all we know about him is he lived a long time and then he was dead. More time isn't the answer. What you do with the time. See, this, this is about how many weeks we get. Give or take, about 75 years worth of weeks. Right? It's not the number of weeks. It's not the number of them. It's what you do and how you steward them when you're here. Don't cheat on the things that only you can do. Don't compromise on the things that only you can do. I wanted to get a little bit more visual, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the ushers up here. And this, this, is, this is about seven years' worth of weeks, right? I was thinking about this. So my kids, my kid that's eight, right, I got about this many weeks with him left. And every week, every Monday, if I was being honest, I could take one of these little marbles out. And I could just toss it because that's gone. It's never coming back. That's how many I have left with him. And then he's moving out and he's doing his thing. If I think about someone, how many years I have left, I got about this many total years here, assuming Aaron keeps me in good shape. That's what I got. And every week I could take one of these out and I could just toss it. So I'm going to have the ushers. I'm going to give these to them. And they're going to come around, and they're just going to pass this out. And I would like you to just reach in and take one. And it's just going to go around, and they're, going to, they're just going to do it right now. I've, I've got enough so they can just come around. And there's, there's more. There will be plenty, but just take one. And I want you to hold on to it for a second. And here's what I'm struck by. The peace of my time that I'm accountable for before the Lord. 
the relationship that I manage well. My family, my God. Now, some of you are like, well, my family's all over the place. People God has put into your life. That's the part you're responsible for. That's the place that you don't want to cheat on. Sometimes that's tough. Sometimes it's going to require tough conversations. Sometimes you're going to have to be able to get to a place where you say, you know what? I just what? How, how do we make this work? What has to change? What can we do differently? Sometimes it's going to take compromise and submission and things that you don't want to submit. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, before he starts going you know, off, off the deep end, talking about uh, uh, husbands and wives and all those things, in verse 21, he starts with a very simple principle about managing your family. He says, you've got to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, you've got to start in, that, in those most intimate relationships, in all those relationships with an idea of mutual submission, that I'm going to take my time, my energy, my resources, what I got, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to use it to prop you up because I trust that you're going to take your time, your energy, your resources, and you're going to give those back to me, and you're going to prop me up, and together we're going to make this thing work. You see, we jump right into the next couple verses, and we miss that idea. Ephesians 5.21, I'm not making it up. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we hear submission and we freak out. Submission isn't something to freak out about. It just says, I love you, and what can, how can I take my thing, my time, my energy, my resources, and how can I lift you up? What can I do to help? It's a game changer. I'm going to give you a secret ingredient right now. It's going to help you in all of your fights with the people you care about. All right? It's a little phrase. Because it's really hard to punch someone in the face who says this. When it's hitting the fan, because it's going to hit the fan, it's going to be tense. I want you to look them right in the eyes. I want you to stop trying to be right. And I want you to just ask, what can I do to help? Did you catch that? I want you to look them right in the eyes. This is where mutual submission kicks in. And I want you to say, I know I'm this and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and hard, but here's what I got. So I, I do premarital counseling sometimes and I always go here with couples that are getting ready to start their adventure and their life together. And I say, this is how you defuse things. You want a heart level. You want to experience submission and mutual submission. You look them right in the eye and say, what can I do to help? Not, you got to fix this and we got to get this. And I just asked you to hold this and I just asked you to plus this. You know what? Something went wrong somewhere. So what can I do to help? I asked you to take a hold of this. And here, here's, it's not a very spiritual thing. It's a little glass rock. But, but it's a week. It's a week. Right? What I'd love for you to do, wherever you charge your phone or wherever you put your alarm, just set it there for a little while. And when you see it, would you just remember it's a week? It's a week. It's a week. When it's gone, it's gone. It's not ever coming back. The kid's never going to be toddlers again. They're never going to be in grade school again. You're never going to be newlyweds again. You're never going to be in your 20s again. You're never going to be in your 30s again. You're never going to be in your 40s again. You're never going to be in your 50s again. Right? When they're gone, they're gone. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Not on those two things. If something's got to go, then something's got to go, but not on those two things. Keep breathing room there.
they mutually submitted. Believe that God is able to do what he says he's able to do. Don't let fear creep in like kryptonite and keep you from that. Don't let it rob you from that. Don't let some sense that I won't get what I'm entitled to or do. I won't leave my mark. I won't leave my legacy. Don't let that rob you from the two things that God's entrusted you. Don't let it steal it away. Solomon traded again and again and again. He got bigger and more famous. And you know what happened to it? It was gone in a generation. It's not worth it. Trust that God is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he'll do. This week matters. This is your window. This is your time. What are you going to do with it? Here's the thing about relationships. They require breathing room. They're not math. Right? They're not calculated. Sometimes, you're, fellas, sometimes you're just going to have to get into her world. She's going to come out. It's time to leave. And she's going to say, how do I look? And you're going to have to stop. Even if you have to pretend and contemplate your answer, right? You can't just say, great, it's time to go. And just crush her, right? No. See, go into her world. Spend a little time there. Say, you look great. Have you thought about the blue ones? You'll be a hero. Just say it. It looks great. What about the blue ones? I'm sure she had the blue one that she was thinking about. Watch your stock just go climbing, right? Take a moment. Your kid runs in with the project they've been, art thing they've been doing. Dude, that's awesome. Wait, hey, daddy's working finishing right now. I'll look at it later. No, 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 stop. It's precious. That moment's going to be gone. They're not going to be coming in, bringing you that stuff anymore. It's not coming back. That phone call happens. Take a moment. It stirs in you to call your mom. Call your mom. Take a minute. She's not coming back. That season's not coming back. Some things only we can do. I hope as we've walked through this series that your heart's been challenged. That you've understood that God is intending to give you something that's better. And that all the pressure of the world is trying to get you to make some exchange that isn't worth it. It's not worth it. He intended you to rest. He wants you to have margin in your schedule. It's okay to say no to things. Good things. It's okay to look someone in the eye and say, you know what? I'm never going to do that until my kids are grown. I can't go out anymore. I can't do it. Like, I just can't do it anymore. And because I can't steal from them this time. It's okay. I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, I, I just can't add another thing right now. I can't, I can't do it. It's okay to say no. It's better. They're precious. Let's pray. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for leaning into us. Thanks for fighting that consumer mentality that somehow he who dies with the most whatever wins. Winning is stewarding the things that you've specifically entrusted us with. 
our family, our relationship with you. I pray that we would go deeper and further, that we would put the first things in first. doesn't mean the other things are bad. doesn't mean we shut everything else out. It just means we trust you enough to put those things first that need to be first. That we love our spouses, we love our families, we love our, the people you put in our lives the way you designed us to love them. God, help us to never hand off the things that are specifically ours to carry, somehow cheating the whole system. Help us to trust you. Help us to remember the weeks are precious and to hold on to them. We love you. We believe. We believe that you'll do what you say you'll do, that you know what we need. God, you took care of the birds. You took care of the flowers. You'll take care of us. It's going to take some faith, but it's worth it. Would you take what we have, not what we don't have, and bless it? God, I don't have 75 hours to give, not even, not even to the church, to my work or to whatever. Would you take the 40 or the 50 that I have and would you bless it and do miracles? Instead of, God, me praying that you would just bless my work. God, would you bless my home? Would you help me to steward that well? Would you protect those most intimate relationships? Would you bless my relationship with you? Would you help me to realize this is my time? Would you help me to fight procrastination and busyness and excuses? Help me to not feel good about something I may do sometime, but instead to be, God, faithful and trustworthy today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you made it. Next week, we're going to talk about Samson and compromise. It's going to be awesome, and I'll I'll give you relief from this video like I said I would. Would you go have a great, you got the Seahawks are on a buy so you can go out to lunch. You don't have to worry about anything. Have an awesome week in the Lord. Give someone near you a hug. You can stand. High five them. Tell them you made it. God bless you. Have an awesome week.